The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. Well, ever since I was a little bitty boy just listening to my heroes sing, well, I knew one day if I could find a way, man, I'd be doing the same damn thing. Well, dreams come true, and I know they do, and I can feel the music down in my soul. You better make a little room at the top for a regular Joe. Welcome to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spees, the North Dakota nomad, the shale play prophet, broadcasting from the Hatch Coaching Studios. Our entitled intern, Provolone, is man in the production elements of the podcast. Jody Smith, North Dakota Land Commissioner, coming up a little bit later on the program via our Bakken Barbecue phone lines. Headlines coming up in just a moment or two. Who else do we got? William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, is going to join us with our daily update at the end of the show, our three-minute update at the end of the show. William Prentice is going to give us an update on the Davis Refinery and the Walton Refinery. Of course, the Davis Refinery coming to Belfield, North Dakota, and Walton Refinery near Kermit, Texas. So we've got some refinery action behind the scenes going on in the Bakken and also down in the Permian. Provolone, just a heads up, we have a couple phone calls possibly coming in today. Lauren Scott, Dr. Lauren Scott with Lauren Scott and Associates. He's one of the heavyweights when it comes to oil and gas. He helps write Louisiana's economic outlook for their government as well as their energy industry. He's going to give us an update this morning on what the heck is going on with five ten dollar oil and OPEC and stock market. We got people scrambling around like chickens with their heads cut off at the stock market going right now. So we've got to like dispel some of the myths. We got to get down to the brass tacks of things. So if uh, uh, Lauren Scott calls in, let's just let's get him right to us. Okay, we want to get him on today's program if we can. Okay, there. Provolone, you've got your duties today. I've got my duties today. Let's do a quick rundown before we get to headlines. As I mentioned, Jody Smith, the North Dakota Land Commissioner, she's going to give us an update on what is going on with that Supreme Court ruled case last year and the letter that went out. And we've got the North Dakota Petroleum Council upset and the governor can't remember which meetings he attended to and the uh, Attorney General is trying to figure out which question we're talking about and maybe if we can extend some things. So we, we've got some people that their memory doesn't work and other people are getting shot because they're the messenger and some other people are saying, hey, let's not rush things here because you've got a lot of money tied to this industry and they're going through a rough patch. Now you're going to tack this on too? This ticky tackiness? Well, you got three, four different opinions. And guess what? The worst part about this is, and this is what Jody Smith is going to talk about because I already know this, there's already a group waiting to find out what the end result's going to be. So no matter how it ends up, someone's going to be mad because if it goes the gas company's way, well, there's a bunch of environmentalists ready to go. And if it goes the other way, well, then... My guess is the gas companies are ready to go too. So this is the, the, the war drums. They're, I'm, I'm going to flat out ask her if the war drums are beaten because I don't like this. this. This reminds me a little bit too much of some things that have happened in the past 10 years in North Dakota that has given us a black eye on many occasions. 
okay? So we're going to try to nip this in the bud before it gets out of hand a little bit with Jody Smith, North Dakota Land Commissioner, coming up in just a moment or two. Headlines, of course, the popular headlines. Our sponsor today, if you'd like to be a sponsor, please feel free to email us, jason at thecrudelife.com. We would greatly appreciate it, and we love our sponsors because they keep our lights on. And in order to keep our lights on, we got to let people know that it is the hard-working men and women out in the field. It's not just the flick of the switch. you got Royal Creek Consulting out there, the good people at Royal Creek Consulting who service the oil and gas industry, provide business development services for the service and supply companies. Right now, Royal Creek Consulting are working in Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Louisiana, Oklahoma, Colorado, New Mexico, and Texas. For more information, visit RoyalCreekConsulting.com. That's RoyalCreekConsulting.com. Of course, all of our links are available at the Crude Life Podcast show page. Our featured event today is the 26th annual Texas Wildcatters Open, happening March 26th at the Black Horse Golf Club in Cypress, Texas. That's by the Independent Petroleum Association of America. The link is available at thecrudelife.com on our show page. And if you have a event that an event, not a event, an event, I do believe grammar should still be recognized in t- today's society. In t- 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 today's society. Do you like how I did that provolone? You see, I was trying to get all preachy and altruistic and look at that. Karma bit me in the butt on that one. Woo! If you would like to email us, because you have an event that you would like featured on this particular program, this podcast, please feel free to email jason at thecrudelife.com, jason at thecrudelife.com. And the Earth's champion, Johnny Green, the Earth's champion, the greatest environmentalist on Earth, has given us an eco-watch for today. Of course, this link is available too. And it is Minnesota Utilities warned that big investments needed in the region's electricity grid. Excel, other electricity providers offer no estimates, but past projects have cost billions. Boy, that's reassuring. Boy, we haven't even got to the story yet, folks. All I did was read the headline and the subheading, and I, I, I've already read enough. I've already read enough. Minnesota Utilities warn that big investments needed in the region's electricity grid. Okay, we are being forced to do this. Big investments are needed. We don't know how much, but in the past, it's cost billions. And after the stock market this morning, trillions. I mean, are you kidding me? Okay, let's take a look here. Just a couple paragraphs. I, I just, I got to tease myself here. Johnny Green, you know how to get my ire going on this wind energy. The upper Midwest electricity grid will require big investments over the next decade and beyond as power producers increasingly shift from coal to wind and solar energy. That's the word from a study released Thursday by the region's major electricity provider, which while laying out key transmissional issues, doesn't offer specifics on costs or new power projects. Well, there's a few things that right there after two paragraphs, we got to take, take away from this. Number one is, uh, being from North Dakota, I'm very familiar with Minnesota. And Minnesota receives a lot of energy from North Dakota. Now, at one point, Public Service Commissioner Brian Kalk has told me that, and he's not there anymore, but when he was there, 
something upwards of 90% during some cases. And I, I do want to say he even said 95% during some winters. Powered North Dakota with coal. And they still had enough to sell over to Minnesota. So Excel Energy in Minnesota and North Dakota, they've, they've done business together for a long time. Pipelines and transmission lines. And Minnesota gets a lot of energy from coal. North Dakota, which, by the way, has an A-plus in air quality. Every single air quality, cancer, air, this and that study there is, A-plus. And 90, 70 to 95% of it's powered by coal. They invest a lot of money in clean coal. Now, I'm not here sticking up for coal. Not at all. All I'm saying is what's already happened in life. And now, what Minnesota's saying is that XL Energy, who has a monopoly, which we've approved of, and the people have approved of it too, says they have no idea how much it's going to cost. Now, that's the one part, by the way, in this whole story that I think the last time I checked, this is the way that people make money. The reason XL Energy got into this is because they are a monopoly, so therefore they, are, they can't charge a profit on the energy. But where they can charge a profit is when they make repairs and build new infrastructure. I believe that's where they get that, that's where they make their money. That's why XL Energy got into the wind business was because that was a way that they could make money was by putting those things up and by servicing them. Just like they do with the power lines. Now, if if I'm wrong cuz I haven't checked this in a few years and some regulations may have changed, but last time I checked, that was kind of the way the world worked. Jason at thecrudelife.com, if you'd like to email me, feel free. Go to my social media pages. Disagree, but I believe that's the case. So I'd pay attention to this, folks. I mean, these energy companies, they're going to make it up one way or another. They're going to make up their balance sheets one way or another. That's what they get paid to do. There is someone in a, in a public company who gets paid to make sure the sheet is balanced. Now, I don't know if it's the CEO or the CFO or the COO or the CMO or the CEO or the ABC or the XYZ. But there's some acronym who gets paid a lot of money to make sure that he gets a team together to make sure that the balance of the sheet gets balanced. Okay? So keep an eye on that. Johnny Green, see what you do to me? Just a simple little... I mean, the guy doesn't even really know how to use a, a, a computer very well. He's so green. Johnny Green, the greatest environmentalist on earth, the earth's champion. Our links are available at thecrudelife.com. All right, we're going to take a brief little pause here quickly while I take a sip of coffee or two. And we're going to come back with Jody Smith. No, we're not. We're going to go to headlines. Let's go to headlines here. Can I just get my coffee now? Because we've Change the format a little bit. And I'm cool with it because, you know, I like it. The esoteric energy approach. I'm quick to throw out the notes. Hey, I'll go from the hip provolone. You listen, you're in charge. You're the one in charge. I know we've got two phone calls coming in. Big, important phone calls coming in. So you got to pay attention to that. You got Jody Smith, North Dakota Land Commissioner. So you got to be on the heads up there. We've got music that you've got, to, you know, new music now. Blind Joe's playing. Blind Joe, you know, he was on The Voice. Blake Shelton's buddy. He really is blind. He does a fantastic live performance. So 
If anybody wants to go ahead and, and download his music, go to thecrudelife.com. I think it's blindjoe.com as his, his website, but the links are available at thecrudelife.com. So we have new music now, Provolone, which you got to pay attention to. We've got way too much going on for you to even speak today. So one day you'll get an opportunity, but I do agree. It's time for headlines now because we did change up things a little bit. We, we changed the format. We tweak, See, we're tweaking things a little bit, which I'm trying to install a little bit of structure into your life. I get it. The podcast is whatever we want to do. I mean, you can do whatever you want in a podcast. The person actually has to download to listen. When we do our radio program, there's kids in the car. There are people that are not working in the oil and gas industry. So for number one, you can't be boring. So you're not talking because you're boring. Well, that's mean. I'm sorry, but you kind of are. Second, Sometimes, you know, we use language, and I'm not even talking about swear words. We use technical language that the average person has no idea what we're saying, and they wish we were swearing because they understand those words. So I got to be conscious of that. You and your podcast world, you do whatever you want. I'll pay attention to the rest of reality, okay? I mean, we got a whole world out there who talk about our radio program every Sunday morning at the cafe because we bring on that's the, Kevin Kramer, Senator Kevin Kramer. Yeah. He's kind of a big deal. He sits on the energy committee for, for uh, president Trump. He's one of Trump's buddies. Okay. He's a big deal. We got Dr. Lauren Scott countries hire him. States hire him for economic input. He's kind of a big deal. He's a heavyweight. So we got a lot of moving parts going on here. Okay. So we need a little structure at times. It can't all be loosey goosey. Hey, come on, man. Chill. Let's just Maui time. Maui wowie, baby. What's that? Keys time. I was just out at the Key, Key Largo. They're on Keys time down there, man. Just like the year before in, Ma in Maui, island time which I dig. I'm all about it. Listen, all of us want to put Jimmy Buffett on, kick back and have some fun, but we're getting close to $10 oil. We got to, I don't even know if, if I, I feel guilty promoting this golf event. Are you kidding me? I mean, we got people out there really seriously trying to figure out how to make two bucks into 10 bucks. And we got associations out there acting like nothing's going on and act, calling people up saying, give me another thousand bucks for this golf event. Everybody's going to be there. If you're not there, well, you might lose out on 200,000 bucks worth of business. I mean, it's now is an interesting time in energy folks. And that's why I need Dr. Lauren Scott, because the last time this happened, all the people who got paid by the taxpayers and by the industry people, that didn't have to worry about where their next check was coming from. Everything's going to be fine. We're going to remain optimistic. Seven grand, please, for this event that I'm doing. I mean, this Mardi Gras event. Let's get, give me another 800 bucks here. Remain optimistic. Let's go and pat each other on the back. Well, a 16-year-old is beating the industry on its knees. You got the stock market. Like I said this morning, I turned it on for a second. And man, it looked like chickens with their heads cut off. I mean, I, 
I, I, I haven't seen anything like that in a long time. So we, we got to get to some coronavirus stuff too. It's, it's a, it is a mad, 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 mad world out there, folks. So hopefully the esoteric approach to energy, we can calm some of the existential anxiety out there. The esoteric energy will calm the existential fear in the masses because we have healed millions here at The Crude Life by trying to cut through it and live. the. When you have lived The Crude Life, when you have slept in a vehicle with a seatbelt in your back making million-dollar decisions on two hours of sleep, you've lived The Crude Life. You've lived the crude life. And folks, some of you out there nodding your head, get a little tear to your eye, understanding what the heck I'm talking about. And the other, the other bunch of you think I'm nuts. Provolone, you think I'm nuts talking about living on two hours of sleep, sleeping behind a Walmart with a seatbelt lodged in my back, trying to make sure I can get to a meeting the next day, figuring out if how am I going to shave, look like a fool, Walmart's bathroom, figuring out if I'm going to shave or not, or... Give it the grizzled look. Who's going to be at the meeting? Can I wear jeans or do I got to look like a shower today? I've been there. I know a lot of people have been there. Because guess what? Those same people I talked about before that have no problem asking you for a thousand bucks for this new party while industry's in the tank. Those people expect you to wear a suit and tie too. So that's, that's the reality of the way it is. And I'm not taking a shot at them. I'm not. I might, it might sound like it. Again, it already happened, folks. I'm actually recapping what happened during the last downturn. And you can go back and take a listen. We've been doing interviews and podcasting interviews for close to 10 years now, since 2011. So if I have to ruffle a few feathers to say, listen, we believed a lot of you the last time, a lot of you elected and appointed leaders when you said to remain positive and things are going to be fine and this and that. Well, I'm not going to listen this time. I'm going to ask questions. And here's, here's another true thing, folks. During the last downturn, there were some people that would not come on my programs anymore. And get this, they said I asked too many questions. I'm a journalist who asks too many questions. How's that for your appointed and elected leaders? Last time I checked, we all had a job to do. Mine is to find out how to navigate through this, be the eyes and the ears for the people out there in this busy, busy world and try to do it in the best way possible without some sort of political leaning. And it's really hard in today's day and age because the same individuals I spoke of before ended up somehow politicizing energy to where now it's a blue and red issue when it's just... It's a light switch issue. Do you want your energy on or off? It has nothing to do with politics, yet for some reason, it is. So we try to just cut through all that. And we're trying the esoteric energy approach. And like I said, I'm not trying to take shots at anybody here. I'm actually just recapping what happened over the last decade in, in a lot of regards, in a lot of respects. So I'm just hoping we can all get on the same page so we can get through this together. Because honestly, I'm more about we are united energy. Because when we are united energy, the quality of life increases. And when you take a look at what energy companies have done, that's why they've diversified. I do not understand 
how the energy company's investments to diversification of energy has gone as unnoticed as it has. All right, we better get to headlines before I say too much and get too much issues and this and that and everything else. All right, have we got our sounder for headlines yet? No, we haven't gotten that far? Okay. All right, add that to the list, provolone, of things to do. So let's take a look at our first headline today, if you wouldn't mind. Fossil fuel companies are counting on plastic to save them. Let's say you lost your headphones, so you order replacement on Amazon. They arrive in a blue and white Amazon branded plastic envelope. Inside, there's a clear plastic bag, and inside that, a hard plastic container. And inside that, finally, the headphones themselves, which are mostly plastic. I know the feeling that comes next, the twinge of guilt about all the unnecessary packaging. Because you've read how your plastics have been accumulating in landfills, wildlife, and in the ocean, Perhaps you vowed to change your plastic-loving ways. Maybe by foregoing Amazon orders or bringing your own bags to the grocery store. Now, that's a good start, but it won't fix the real reason we're drowning in a glut of supply. Fossil fuel companies are staring down a time when their signature product will no longer be critical in our lives. A lot of truth behind that, folks, that there's a lot of guilt being done here, and there's a lot of reality behind the plastics. And if you go back in the crude life, we've talked about a natural gas subsidy. And this is one of the reasons right here is plastic is not as bad as they make it out to. There's a lot of very beneficial uses for plastic, okay? Now, when you take a look at concrete, concrete is one of the top reasons for global warming. Not only is the urban land use part of it, but the actual construction and the manufacturing of the, the whole thing behind concrete, okay? So plastic could actually replace concrete in some things. Plastic could replace the use of wood in some things. And now when I'm talking about plastic, I'm talking about a hard plastic, okay? I'm talking about a plastic that would replace pool liners. So instead of, you know, if you have an in-ground pool, it would be just a mold of plastic, I, these are the types of things that I'm talking about reimagining energy to where if we're going to continue to live on fossil fuels, which we are, because I truly believe that people want sterile hypodermic needles. And anytime this whole plastics and everything like that green debate comes up, as soon as I hear a good replacement for hypodermic needles, which is, are we going to use glass ones, reusable ones? Are they not going to come sealed anymore? How, how, just tell me what, what the plan is for hypodermic needles. They're only sourced locally. What's the story here? So until we can figure out a new way for hypodermic needles, something as basic as that from the flu shot to drawn blood, I just don't think plastics are going to go anywhere anytime soon. So what are we going to do? How are we going to re, re, redo it? Well, there's maybe we get away with plastic straws and we do away with plastic bags. And that's what I see happening. Some of those behavioral things within plastic bags and plastic straws are going to happen. Not the flat-out banning of plastic. Not the flat-out banning of fossil fuels. That is just another way for the politicians and the people who control the politicians to keep the professional wrestling of politics going just back and forth back and forth and back and forth because at the end of the day what are you gonna do about tires just on cars 
forget fueling them. There's just when 96% of your life needs petroleum in some way from your toothpaste to your tires to your hypodermic needles, having a conversation about eliminating fossil fuels is a waste of time. Having a conversation about, okay, we're going to ban straws, that's okay. It works fine in Hawaii. I had no problem buying two straws at the first place I went to where my son needed. I don't use a straw. My son does. So I spent two bucks on two straws. And we carried them with us the whole trip. We still have them. No problem with that. That changed my behavior. And it was a very affordable, economical, impulsive way to do it. And guess what? Our behavior going forward has changed. We don't use straws anymore. We use reusable straws. We have for a long time, but that's an example right there. So to see communities and to see leaders just jump to this existential planet of platitudes, you got to have a strong mind to live the crude life. You got to have a strong mind to live in the realm of reality. And I do. And when I see these stories about banning fossil fuels, I feel sorry for the people. I really do because they don't have any idea what they're talking about as they sit there and text and drink out of their Starbucks plastic coffee cup. I just, you can't even make it up. All right, let's see what we have next for our headlines. Oil now, a bigger problem for markets than the coronavirus. This is by CNBC. All right, let's see what they have to say here for oil prices plunged last week as OPEC and its allies failed to reach an agreement on production cuts. And as prices look set to continue cratering, some are warning about the impact on the broader economy. Crude has become a bigger problem for markets than the coronavirus. Adam Chris Fooley, founder of Vital Knowledge, said Sunday, it would be virtually impossible for the S&P to be sustainably bounce if Brent continues to crater, he added. Well, folks, this is, this is absolutely astounding that this is news. Absolutely astounding that somebody like CNBC, not NBC, CNBC, okay? This is supposed to be like a business type thing, right? CNBC? That they would even think something like this. Okay, the mining industry and the petroleum industry specifically is the only industry that's added jobs over the last decade. Texas and North Dakota were really the only two states that were, that were doing anything over the last decade in terms of economy. They were, they were like funding the rest of the nation for a very long time. Even Utah, which kept being projected as being the number one state, didn't end up being the number one state. I really think Texas and North Dakota have been the number one powerhouse for new jobs, new growth, revenue, the whole thing because of oil and gas. Alaska is in its own world. So, they, we, I mean, they're counted, but not the same. And I'm not going to get into that today. So to say that oil is a bigger problem than coronavirus, well, of course. I mean, if oil prices are down... That affects cafe owners. That affects engineers. That affects archaeologists. 
That affects media people. That affects state governments. North Dakota, which I'm going to talk to Jody Smith about in just a minute or two, 55%, at least last I checked, and that was last year, 55% of the state budget was tied to oil and gas revenue, the production and extraction tax. Two taxes. The leaders in North Dakota tied their general revenue budget to two oil and gas taxes, okay? That's not mentioning all the vehicle registration tabs, the out-of-state permits for fishing and hunting. No. If you start digging into it, it ends up being like 65% of North Dakota's revenue comes from energy, from oil and, not even energy, oil and gas workers, okay? That is extremely reliant on one industry. And they get upset by me even just saying things like that, pointing it out, because they're the ones who caused the problem. But they don't want to admit it. So I guess CNBC is a little bit dumbstruck and that oil is a bigger problem than the coronavirus, says this analyst from some company I've never heard of, says Adam Crusfuli founder of Vital Knowledge. I've never heard of any of those things. Cruz Fooley sounds like something you get at the Olive Garden. But I'm sure he fit the bill and he probably wore a suit and I'm sure he looked nice and fit the part. But he doesn't bring anything to the table. This is the problem with the news today, which is exactly why I called Dr. Lauren Scott and Kevin Kramer, Senator Kevin Kramer, because I'm fortunate enough to where I can just go right to the newsmakers. Go right to the CEOs, go right to the experts, go right to the industry people and find out what, what is going on here. Because I'd rather create the news than react to the news. Yeah, I get this as a reaction, but nobody knows what to do. Everyone's wondering what's next. So we're going to bring on some people like Dr. Scott and Senator Kramer that are going to help us get informed so we know what to do next. Not tell us what to do next. Because I'm, for, I don't know about you folks, but I'm beyond anybody telling me what to do. I don't like it to begin with. And now I really don't like it because nobody knows what's going on in my world. Nobody knows I'm a single father. And if they do know, they don't care. They got their own problems to worry about. So that's what I mean. We're going to bring on people that are going to talk about what's going on. And based on their knowledge and their expertise, things that they might do, options they might weigh, because everybody's situation is, is unique. And we're not afraid to actually admit that here at The Crude Life because now is a time when you actually should be rolling up your bootstrap. I had a whole different program scheduled for today, folks. A completely different program in terms of the mood and attitude. But when I started looking at those people on the stock market running around like their heads and the chickens cut off, and I just couldn't do it because I felt like it was time to get serious a little bit. So let's take a look at our next headline here. What do we got here, Provolone? A tiny caterpillar could be the solution to the plastic pollution, scientists suggest. Oh, I like this one already. You know how much I like when animals can be put to work, whether it's an ox or a dog. They just have such superior skills when it comes to certain things over humans. All right, let's take a look. A tiny caterpillar could be the solution to plastic pollution, scientists suggest. While scientists and researchers work to find ways to stall the effects of climate change, it's possible that the answer to one of our problems may actually already exist in the form of a caterpillar. In 2017, it was discovered that waxworms have the ability to eat through plastic. 
At the time, it was unclear how exactly it was possible and whether it could be replicated. Now, researchers think they may have found a breakthrough. A paper published earlier this week reveals that it's all about the worm's gut bacteria and microbes. And the worms will be put to work immediately down in the factory cleaning up plastic waste. No, I'm kidding about the last sentence. But actually, that's where I see it going. Mix them up with the compost worms, and there you go. They'll eat up the plastic and everything else, or just put them in there and eat them up. Because it is a real problem. It's a, it's a serious problem. The, the recycling companies that uh, apparently were making these cities green, well, we're finding out now that all they're doing is turn around and selling it to third world countries. And then the third world countries are just figuring out where to put it. And it's not going well at all. Just another example of green greed happening in the environmental world where they've lost their ways. And it's true. I mean, go ahead and take a look at it. Down in Thailand and some of these Asian countries, that's where the plastic ends up. It gets shipped over there and it's got to be cleaned out. And they just, it's a problem. It is a serious, you know, you got wind turbines filling up landfills. You've got plastic bottles being shipped all over the place and Nobody seems to really want to do anything about it. They want to talk about it, but they don't want to do anything about it. So anyway, maybe the plastic worms will do it. Maybe these caterpillars, you know, and there's some good irony. Karma, symbolism, symbolism. Let's go with symbolism. Some good symbolism here with the butterfly and the cocoon and the plastic. You know, maybe that's maybe right now we're, we're just caterpillars in the world of plastic. And if and if. Given the right environment, we could cocoon and come into a butterfly. See, I'm back to my swimming pools for a thousand bucks that you put in everybody's backyard because it's easy. Because it's just, it's a mold. It's a plastic mold that doesn't crack and doesn't, doesn't blow away in the wind. And caterpillars don't eat it. Bigger problems. Okay, let's take a brief pause, folks. I want to come back with jody smith and is that lauren scott no it's kramer it's kramer's people kevin kramer's people senator kramer's people okay uh do do what you got to do provolone i'm going to do this real quick mention of our sponsor take a brief uh pause so i can take a sip of coffee and then uh let's patch in jody smith okay i see that jody's calling right now so this will give us a ample time so folks royal creek consulting is today's sponsor here at the crude life podcast Royal Creek Consulting services the oil and gas industry and provides business development services for service and supply companies. They are currently working in the following states, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Louisiana, Oklahoma, Colorado, New Mexico, and Texas. For more information on Royal Creek Consulting, visit their website, royalcreekconsulting.com. That's royalcreekconsulting.com. But now I'm back at the bar again. Hanging out with all my rowdy friends Getting drunk and singing redneck songs I'll probably stay here, baby, all night long Pour me a beer and the a The Crude Life is down. sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever The model for future shale basin projects groundbreaking 
the Davis Refinery. A nice cold whiskey glass, hanging out with friends and having a blast. My mom and dad think it's a waste of time, not anymore. Drinking beer and riding redneck rhymes. I think I'll do it just as long as I can. That's why I'm back at the bar again. Welcome back to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spees, the North Dakota nomad, the shale play prophet, broadcasting from the Hatch Coaching Studios. Provolone is our entitled intern, manning the production elements of the podcast. And we've got Jody Smith, the North Dakota Land Commissioner, joining us in just a second or two on our Bakken Barbecue phone lines. We're going to talk about the kerfuffle happening in North Dakota. At least I think it's a kerfuffle. She thinks it's just business as usual, I imagine. I'm not sure, but we'll find out in just a second. All right, Provolone, we set? All right, let's just have her get a mic level check so we can see if we're good to go. Provolone, if you wouldn't mind, in three, two, one. Thank you, sir. Jody Smith, I'm the land commissioner for the Board of University and School Lands. Excellent. Thank you for joining us here today and revisiting this story here on the Looks like the natural gas royalties from some oil and gas companies. And I, I believe this is on, on public land. Is that correct? Uh, well, we call it state land. So it was a land that was granted to the Board of University and School Lands upon statehood to help pay for education throughout the entire state. Okay, thank you. That's why I asked for the clarification. See, my yeah. simple mind, I just categorize things <laughs> and, and make it public nice land and easy. Is and a little different than state land, um, but in North Dakota, our state land is open to the public, so sometimes that, that term is used interchangeably. Okay. Now, let's get to this here, because you were on just a few weeks ago, and I remember my my last question to you was, uh, what's next? Is is there anything next? And, and I think, if I'm paraphrasing, but it was done, and uh, the, the dates were set, and in, in your opinion, the kind of the wheels were in motion. Well, I've seen some more headlines in the news, and, and, and I, I don't know, has it changed at all? Are we still where we were a few weeks ago? Just kind of give me a new update, if there is a new update. Um, I think, you know, the only update to really provide is a couple weeks ago, the governor requested that the board reconsider the letter and the flow chart and how everything was communicated to the industry. And so that came to the board last Thursday. It was an extremely full board meeting, if you can imagine. And the board wasn't really to reconsider anything, but they were willing to add some clarification. So um, there had been, you know, some misunderstandings with the industry and the expectations of the board. And so in that boardroom, we were able to clarify a few of those factors. Um, one of them is the 90-day period. Um, we do want as many companies to come into compliance with the state within 90 days. Uh, if they are having issues just because of the look-back period or other constraints within their system, they're able to issue a, a request to me, and then I'll review that and determine if I can grant them an extension within that 90 days or if they'll automatically just go into the second bucket at that point, which um, increases both the interest and penalties. What prompted the changes, if I may ask? I mean, the governor stepping in, that's, um, you know, that's got to be a pretty serious pretty act to happen. So outside of, you know, oil and gas companies being a big part of where the uh, state of North Dakota gets its tax revenue, I believe it's somewhere like 55%. And just kind of talk to me about what, what changed, what prompted the governor to do that? Do you know? You know, I, Jason, I don't actually know. Um, that was a decision kind of made by the governor and a formal request was placed to me to put it on the agenda. And so I, I did such. So um, we did receive letters from the oil and gas industry 
um, asking the board to reconsider the decision that they had made. I can say I probably received an equal number of letters um, from citizens of the state of North Dakota telling the board to kind of stay strong and that they made the right decision. And, you know, per the terms of our contract, you know, these, these oil and gas operators kind of owe the state and the, and the schools and the kids this, these funds. So um, it, it was kind of coming from both sides pretty pretty heavy there for a couple of weeks. And so I'm not quite sure of all the reasonings behind the governor wanting to reconsider it. Um, the other four board members just were not interested in reconsidering it, but they were willing to sit and have an open discussion about some clarifying factors of the letter and the flowchart. Uh, who's on the board? Uh, so I have the governor, the state attorney general, the state uh, secretary, the state treasurer, and the state superintendent. And I've been told, um, although I've not gone back and verified this, that this is the only board in the state where you cannot appoint someone in your position. So, for example, the governor cannot send the lieutenant governor in his position to vote on his behalf. And so um, we meet once a month. We meet the fourth Thursday of every month. I apologize, the last Thursday of every month. Um, at 9 a.m. and we only move that if we can't reach a quorum and then a lot of times I'll have to bump it the week before right around Thanksgiving and Christmas and stuff so we do tend to meet every every month and on occasion we'll have special meetings in between. So the, the governor was a part of these meetings and then a month later he asked to have it changed is that right? Correct. Or, okay Correct. I, I'm, I'm and here's the thing this is where it gets dicey for me because I'm not trying to get anybody in trouble. I'm just trying to follow along here. And that's that. That's what I thought I heard was, okay, so b people, part of the meeting have opportunity, because the next question is closed door meeting now. I, I don't know yeah. what that means. I know I asked you about it before. Um, you, you gave me an answer. And then I saw it come up in a lot of headlines, that sort of thing. Right. Um, is that normal? Is, you know, I mean, you know, you mentioned who is a part of these meetings and these people are involved in other meetings. And so I guess I'm just trying to figure out why the closed door meeting was um, highlighted, if I may ask. You know, I think that from the industry's perspective, they wanted to understand how the board came to the conclusion that they did with the flow chart and the time frame and such. And I can I can understand that. I mean, I tried to have as many conversations with the Petroleum Council as I was allowed to. I'm confined once a conversation occurs within the executive session unless the board directs me to take that information outside of executive session. Um, we have those executive sessions almost every board meeting. Um, they typically are surrounding litigation. So um, a lot of times, we'll, you know, this is all surrounding a case with the new field exploration that's now went to Insulta and Canada and now is Oventive. Um, when we talk about that, we do go into executive session. Um, and then the other kind of catch that I'm careful of in these audits where we're discovering that operators are out of compliance when an operator is out of compliance and we're doing an active audit, uh, all those records are actually not subject to an open records request until such time that the audit is complete. So in order for the board to have these full, broad sweeping conversations and take kind of every scenario into consideration, um, it's a lot easier for me to do that in executive session. The board has requested that we have a lot of these conversations in open session going forward. So I'm actually going to have to give every operator in the state of North Dakota now a unique number that only I'll be able to and my staff will be able to identify in the boardroom so that we can say, for example, operator seven instead of actually naming the operator. Um, so just 
makes me make sure I'm not I don't get tongue tied and accidentally slip the name of an operator in the boardroom. But I, I think it can be done. It just adds a little bit level of complexity there. I don't know if this has been mentioned or not, but you know when when the operator sent letters asking for um, changes or you know to, just a reconsideration and that sort of thing. What what is it they're asking for? I guess is it is it for more time? Is it for a different rate? Uh, I guess I've I've never really been clear what they're asking for. I don't think that there was a sincere consensus on what they were asking for. I mean, any of the operators that were here probably prior to about 2006 or 2000 um, were asking us to reconsider the 90 days um, because they are looking back um, from to the first date of production, and that could be 40 years. When, if they had called us and had a conversation with us, um, they already knew, one, we're willing to issue um, – a continuation, and I can give them an extension to remain in that first bucket. Two, for example, we have a significant operator in the state. They actually had contacted us. We talked to them. There's one unit, so there's basically one well out there that is subject to our audit pre-2006. So while it sounds overwhelming and daunting, it, it really isn't that much. Um, a lot of these more significant operators that go back, you know, 40 years, um, they just don't have that many wells that we were auditing that have to comply to the terms of the lease that were subject to the Newfield case. So um, that's one of the things. Um, I think some of them wanted us to start uh, to not go retroactive. And so we did receive some requests from some of the operators to say, hey, why don't you just start collecting basically from here going forward or, you know, May of 2017 has been brought up a couple of times going forward and not collect any of the royalties from 2006 to 2017. Um, by doing that, we, we would be leaving a significant amount of money on the table because I think everybody in North Dakota is fairly aware, like our huge boom started occurring around 2006 and really ramped up in those years. And so that's where a lot of those royalties are sitting. And so I don't believe that the board can do that and still adhere to their fiduciary responsibilities. I'm, I'm just really confused at how, what, just how, how this is playing out. And like I said, I'm, I'm asking some questions and I feel like I'm going to get in trouble or blacklisted or, or <laughs> I'm serious because you know the way North Dakota is. And just me trying to figure this out, like Bismarck's not a huge town, and what I what I'm what I'm trying to get at is there is a reaction to this. Like it is a reaction that it, there's war drums, okay? And I I understand it. Fifty five percent of the state revenue <laughs> taxes is tied to oil and gas taxes, and right now the industry is going through a little bit of turbulence. And these, I'm sure, a lot of these politicians are trying to figure out what they're going to do because. That's a large chunk of a state to rely on one industry, okay? And I'm not sticking up for the industry. They don't need my help, but a lot of them are publicly traded companies, and a lot of them have shareholders. And they're, they're not designed to be reactive. They're designed to move very slow because they're like a corporation. Small business is designed to be nimble and quick, and government is designed to be slow, okay? The reaction on this is what scares me because... I, what my question is, I guess, do you know why there's the, the reaction there is with this, and why it seems like it's a surprise and, and everything? When the governor has been sitting on these boards, apparently, and I know a lot of oil c company executives sit on boards, and I know uh, 
Ron Ness sits on boards. And I know that they get together at industry mixers. And I know they get to, do you, you know what I mean? There, there was ample opportunity for a conversation to be had to. There were multiple conversations that were had. Um, I mean, this decision came down from the Supreme Court in July. I spoke at a Petroleum Council conference in August. Um, and at that time, I didn't have a specific direction that the board would be going. But I did note to them that we would be issuing a letter that would be providing them with a direction. Um, those operators know when they're out of compliance. Several of them approached me while I was at that conference and, you know, asked what we would be doing. And I told them, you know, we're still kind of working through everything to decide what we would be doing and how we would be moving forward. The, the issue started showing up on our agenda in November. Um, and so we had, I think, six board meetings about it. And it was always on the agenda, there were industry leaders in the room at every single one of those. They may have to have left the room during executive session, um, but, you know, I had conversations with many of them after the board meeting or would go to their offices, and, you know, they were they're very much aware that the, the industry would be incentivized to get into compliance with the state um, and that we would build incentives into, and they knew it was going to be a flow chart um, to try to get them into into compliance with the state as soon as possible. And those conversations were occurring back in December. So it, it really shouldn't have been a shock. Um, I don't know how some of the lobbyists communicate to their companies, and that's kind of outside my lane to speak to that. But, you know, they definitely had communi communications with my board members as well. And so there were multitudes of meetings with them, um, discussions around the interest rate, the penalty rate, the time frame. Um, all of that kind of came into conversation with them. And so I don't think it was really a shock per se. Um, I think, you know, the conversation really goes around, you know, how far back do we need to be going? And, you know, what is the board's fiduciary responsibility for collecting royalties that were due in the 90s, the, you know, the early 2000s and, and kind of making that decision. And so, you know, there are definitely some complexities that kind of sit within that. You know, some of them have brought up, you know, will assets have been sold and rebought a couple times over and then who's liable? And um, what we're telling operators is you go back to the terms of your agreement when you sold those assets or you bought them. And that should have been outlined in that agreement if, you know, you're going to be held liable for anything. And so we're not really involved in a lot of those conversations. We've told our operators if it becomes an issue to please bring it to our attention. That's certainly something we can bring to the board. But at this point, I don't have anybody who's brought that to the board or to my attention and said this has become an extreme issue for us. So it's not our intention that, you know, anybody really go out of business. Uh, we we look at their financials pretty regularly. I got a newsletter today from Bakkenbackers who, you know, touted how much uh, Continental will be putting into the state. Um, you know, I get those regularly. I think Hess is putting $1.4 billion into the state, and we're all extremely grateful for that. Uh, but I also think that when you sign a contract and you make a deal with somebody that you need to uphold your end of the bargain and that right is right and wrong is wrong. We had 40 operators who have always been in compliance with the state. And if we don't collect these royalties from the ones who are out of compliance, am, am I going to pay back the ones who who paid their bill? And, and where is that money going to come from? Because I'm certain that those operators would have loved to be able to use that money to invest into capital or staffing or, you know, whatever else they would like to have. And so, you know, trying to be fair amongst all the operators um, here is, is really what I'm trying to do. And what I ask of one, I need to ask of the other, regardless of, 
you know, how many lawyers they have or how many lobbyists they can hire. Am I out of line for saying that this is this is causing a reaction, that this is very reactive, like um, unlike a lot of other, I guess, things? Uh, to me, it just seems like it's it's coming up a lot in the in the in the press. It is and, coming up a lot. And, you know, I'm not I'm not sure why. I mean, we have certainly not issued a press release. Um and so well, that's what I mean. It's to, to me, that's a reaction. There, there's a yeah, reaction it, it because up quite a bit. well, well, there's they're, they're they're trying to mobilize a movement, and you know, in in my in my opinion, rightfully so, um, and that's why one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on today because um, sometimes when when there's a mobilization in the state, it it doesn't go as planned, and we have the Dapple protest to to. Right. Just talk. I mean, just to cite as as an example, and you know that's that's not a good PR for the industry. And um, right. and I'm not comparing that to this, but there are themes that are very similar, very similar. And it's it's the reaction that I'm a little bit concerned about here. So I don't know what needs to be done to broker a deal, but I hope you guys do. And I don't know why. Um, I think a lot of it is timing that right now a lot of, you know, I just I just read where, uh, is it not, not Anna Darko, but uh, who bought who bought Anna Darko? Occidental is yeah. selling like $15 billion to the state of Wyoming. I mean, the state of Wyoming right. is going to buy like $15 billion worth of leases. And you've got companies, you know, debt servicing quite a bit because they, they have to, you know, they, they got rules they got to they got to play by here. And the state, I've mentioned it several times. Last time I checked, 55% of the state budget was tied to oil and gas, to production and the extraction tax. And we're not talking about vehicle renewals, and we're not talking about none of yeah. those things. You know, because some people argue 65%, really, when you start adding sales tax and some of these other things that are tied to the energy companies. So um, I, I don't think that it's a secret that the oil and gas companies are extremely important to the state of North Dakota's right. uh, revenue. Correct? That's is I don't oh, think. It, yeah, I, I don't think anybody's disputing that. To funding our trust, I mean, because we we collect so much royalties off the work that they do, um, and again, we have thirty eight operators who are out of compliance, and we're not talking about hundreds of millions here. It, it's it's not that significant, and so. The, the reaction is a little bit um, shocking to me in the sense that, um, again, as far as I'm aware, when you, when you have 38 operators and you, you spread that across a number that isn't significant for most of them, I mean, I can't speak on behalf of their financial situations and how they invest capital, but, you know, most of the companies, the other thing that I found really interesting throughout this whole process is the majority of those companies had contacted our department and were working to get into compliance before we went into the boardroom last week. Um, and then I had other individuals within their companies asking us to reconsider the decision when somebody else had already told us, well, we have that money in reserves or, you know, we knew this was the potential to be coming, you know, we, we want to pay you by the end of March. And so I kind of had the maybe the right hand not talking to the left hand, or maybe they wrote the letters just so that, you know, they could say they, you know, they spoke to the board. Um, but the message that I'm getting communicated out in the public versus the message that's coming to us internally are not always the same messages. And so it's always kind of that, that other side of the story. Um, where, you know, many of them want to get into compliance and, and they want to move on and they want to understand how to do it moving forward. And 
and then, you know, there's a lot of publicity around us on the other side. And so um, we just try to keep calm and keep quiet in our, our department and, you know, work with the operators as much as we can to get them into compliance. And, again, if, if there needs to be a settlement offer made by some of these uh, larger companies, the board's willing to entertain that as well. So. And like I said, I'm not, you know, I'm not sticking up for the oil and gas companies right. and I'm not sticking up for the state. I don't get paid by either either one to do either. They pay millions of dollars to other people to do those things. But I do right. know a little bit about big data. And I know that <laughs> that a lot of energy companies have invested millions of dollars into fine tuning their big data. I do know that um, companies like Mineral Tracker, who's a regular, right. Joel, Joel Brown's a regular on this program, uh, they make a living off of getting getting uh, big data at the click of a finger. So I, I know that the state has invested millions of dollars. I know that they started back when I was probably in college investing in this type of uh, uh, um, technology. In fact, they arguably did in the 50s with the Laird Rock Geology Library that's now up in uh, right. Grand Four. I mean, really, I mean, let's, let's be honest no. here. So what, what, what I'm getting at we is... We are known across the nation... Um, and the work like Glenn Helms has done uh, with his his system, I mean, we, we are known across the nation for kind of the information that we have um, so and that, how long we've been tracking it. And that's why I get back to, you know, I understand the timing isn't good on this. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the industry's in, a, in, hey, it's not going well. I mean, coronavirus, right. environmentalism, low oil price, you name it. There's, there's right. you know, there, there's 15 different, you know, state of North Dakota land departments now coming after them. I mean, you name it, man. <laughs> you got everybody coming after the energy industry. So, listen, uh, obviously 90 days is a problem. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at this story here in the Herald, and Wayne Stengem doesn't want to touch this with a 10-foot pole. He's he's talking out of both sides here. and But he did say... Uh, settlement, I see. Try negotiating settlements. Is that something that you guys are looking at doing? You know, if if necessary, we will enter into a settlement. And so we are willing to, again, accept and communicate with them on, on anything. Um, what we have to do, and the board has to do this, because again, if, if we don't collect the royalties that are due to these trusts, I can guarantee you I have just as many people on the other side of the table we're going to sue at me and our board for not doing our re- fiduciary responsibility. I guarantee you Fargo's waiting, I, waiting, very, I, very salivating on right? us right now. Oh, so I guarantee you. I have people on both sides, and that's that kind of fine line. And, you know, I, I, I recognize that the economy is down, but most of these operators were aware that they're out of compliance in 2012, 2013, 2014. They received letters from our department. They knew that they were out of compliance. They, they made a decision to stay out of compliance with the department. Some of them actually came out of compliance um, in 2017 when we issued a letter to them about some stuff. They actually decided to come out of compliance with the department. And so we have this varying range of operators of how long they've been in or out of compliance, when they came in and out of compliance. And, you know, again, we're willing to work with them, try to come up with a number that we both feel like we're meeting our fiduciary responsibilities Whereas, and not hamstringing them and the, the needs that they have as an industry. And so, um, but certainly just leaving it on the table and walking away and saying we're not going to collect on this is not an option for the board. So, Well, if there's something that can be done, I, I hope you let us know. Like I said, I'm not, I'm, I'm not paid to be an advocate for the industry. I'm not paid to be an advocate for the state. But 
I, I, I love the oil and gas industry because it represents a very true form of capitalism and community building. And I love how it allows culture just to cultivate within itself. And when I see the reaction like I've seen happen over this story, there's, there's, there's something yeah. more to it than I think the average person understands because this is, this is, I mean, it's, it's, there's war drums, there's war drums and, and there should not be. part of it is, um, I would anticipate that part of it is that we opened something up here that other states, because of my peers and other states, um, are struggling with. And so, you know, oh, you're giving states an additional revenue source. Quit doing that. Quit acting like a business. uh, Stop. I, well, the government states, needs to stop acting like a business because they, they do. I mean, anyway, sorry. No, I mean, I'm, other land departments. Di- di- different other, soapbox, other different day. Are, <laughs> right. Other states are having the same issues. No, I know. I, I, I know. The industry realized that when we won the Supreme Court lawsuit, that there are going to be other states that are going to be asking for the same thing. So I don't necessarily mm-hmm. think it's all about us. I think that there's a larger concern on a national platform now of what's going to occur. And so because, and I I say that just based upon some of the open records requests I've received from attorneys in other states, um, other attorney generals from other states, um, and other, you know what I mean, and other mineral owners from outside the state. I'm not so convinced that this is all about us. I'm convinced a little bit more that this has to do with something that's occurring on a national platform, and we just happened to open that door. Well, whatever that's the war drums that we're hearing. Whatever it is, it's amplified. And I, after the, like I said, after the um, Dakota Access Pipeline protest, where I got texts and phone calls from six countries and three continents. I'm sorry, four continents. Um, asking what was wrong with us, and you know, and like, and like I've mentioned, it's we ended up on the FBI hate crime list and all these different things. The last one was, you know, the the Greta Thunberg mural, how mm. how the culture yeah. out west reacted to it. Now it's going to be up in Fargo, so in the number one populated city in the state that really controls the voting, that's where a big anti uh, uh, oil and gas fossil fuel message will be every single day. And that was, a, again, because of a reaction. So I, I, I'm trying to, this interview is trying to nip some things in the bud, actually, because I, I, I'm hoping that you can resolve some things with these oil companies and understand that, oh. you know, there. I, I understand it might not be uh, uh, in the grand scheme of things, you know, let, let, let's just say it's 20 million, okay? Like, I have no idea what it is because you haven't said it, but you said it was not hundreds of millions. So... I'm just going to say 20 millions, and I, and I get it that to the average person, that might not seem like a lot of money, but, you know, in the downturn, and, well, uh, shareholders need to be met. Sometimes five bucks is tough, so I think timing is a big part of this, too, so I, I don't know what kind of negotiations can be made or what kind of, uh, <laughs> you know... Uh, instead of 90 days, 120, I have no idea, but uh, you're just encouraging people to contact you. And and if it's a case by case, you'll do a case by case. But as of right now, what's the, uh, what's kind of the message that you want to kind of leave people with to kind of know what the reality is? You know, I I think for the operators who have contacted our department, and we only have about a half dozen who have not at this point in time, 
you know, it's fairly positive. I mean, they understand what our expectations are. They understand the information that we need. And, you know, we're coming to an understanding of, you know, what would be needed to come into compliance with the state. And so we don't have, that I'm aware of, any sincere, significant concerns at this point. I've not been offered a settlement offer. Um, everyone who is in these conversations with us at this point, it is um, a legitimate, I'm going to get into compliance with the state and, and let's move forward as partners. So we'll see that could change. Again, the letter has not even been out for 30 days. And so there's a long ways to go still. I hope to be able to bring the board additional information at the end of this month. And again, that board meeting is on March 26th and it's It'll actually be held here at the Capitol in Bismarck, and it's open to the public, so everybody is welcome to come. Um, but really, this is about having that communication. And, you know, as we kind of, we implied this at the board meeting again last week is, you know, on that letter, it said contact our department. And I really encourage everyone, even if you just have questions about this situation, you're welcome to contact me, have a conversation. Operators are welcome to contact my revenue compliance department, start having those conversations with us because I think a lot, a lot can get missed, you know, when you rely, no offense, Jason, just on media to convey that message instead of really, you know, calling the source and asking them the questions yourself. So. No, no offense taken on my part. That's for sure. I, I've, I've, I've been called worse and, and told worse. But just one final question, I guess, because I, I still, my na naivete, much like, you know, trying to follow what you were talking about earlier, you, you did mention this was a Supreme Court decision that was done. And again, we've, we've heard meetings and changes. Can this be changed? And how can it be changed? Um, my understanding, and with the caveat, I'm not an attorney, is that the Supreme Court will not change their ruling. Uh, there could be additional litigation brought around some specific nuances of the case, um, but the Supreme Court won't go back. They were already asked to rehear this after they came up with their ruling at the beginning of July. The uh, Newfield, with you know support from the industry, asked the Supreme Court to rehear the case, and the Supreme Court denied them that request. So. From this standpoint, that, that case is done. Now, if other litigation, so we have litigation going on right now with Continental, it does involve oil and gas, um, and Newfield is just gas. You know, there could be other nuances that are kind of brought out by this. And the only thing really, you know, in this conversation I've tried to have, you know, with the industry and, you know, we'll continue this is we could change the terms of our lease. It would only benefit those leases starting from today going forward. We wouldn't go back and retroactively kind of change the leases in the past, but then moving forward, we'd have different, we could possibly have different language in our leases that would allow them to take those deductions. Would that change the timing of payment if you did something like that? You know, would it, would it give them any more time to pay? Because I, I do think maybe that is part of the issue uh, and because of the timing, you know, some of these no, oil companies have to go get recertified now to be environmentally conscious and friendly. And I, I have no idea what that means, but I know that it's tough to get additional dollars. But uh, back yeah. to the original question, does it kick the can down the road? Um, that one is, you know, that again, that's just for future leases. And so, I, you know, that would just change things moving forward. But all the leases that we currently have in place, it wouldn't change the terms of that. And so we have leases that people signed in 1975, and it allows you to take deductions. That, that provision and lease didn't change until 1979. And so we have some leases that do allow the industry to take the deductions they're asking for. And then we have leases now that don't allow you to. And if 
you know, if we can come to some sort of agreement, we might be able to come up with a lease that does allow us to take those deductions again. And so it's really about sitting down and being able to find, you know, a, a happy medium and making sure that that terms of the lease are very clear so that we don't end up in the space again where we're in litigation because there seems to be some ambiguity. To listen to the full-length interview, visit thecrudelife.com. And you'll hear me say from a mile away that I'm the luckiest man I know. And everybody who knows me knows I'm just a regular Joe. Well, old lady luck, she was a looking... Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Yeah, y'all, if they leave it up to me, brother, I'm going to be exactly who I've always been. And that's going to do it for the Crude Life Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in today here and downloading and listening to the podcast. We understand there are many different people out there like Ron Burgundy, Mike Tyson, and Mario Lopez from Saved by the Bell and My Neighbor's Cat. They all have a podcast. So thank you for tuning in and listening to Jody Smith, North Dakota Land Commissioner. Thank you for joining us. And William Prentice going to be on in just a moment or two from the Meridian Energy Group with an update on the Davis Refinery near Belfield, North Dakota, and the Walton Refinery near Kermit, Texas. Our headlines are available with their links at thecrudelife.com on our show page. And our sponsor today, Royal Creek Consulting. If you'd like to be a sponsor, email jason at thecrudelife.com and We'd thank you very much if you would because it's companies like Royal Creek Consulting that are allowing us to keep our lights on to educate, inform, and entertain people on how those lights stay on because it's the hardworking men and women out there doing it, not the flick of a switch. It's companies like Royal Creek Consulting who service the oil and gas industry and provide business development services for the service and supply companies. They're working in Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Louisiana, Oklahoma, Colorado, New Mexico, and Texas. For more information on Royal Creek Consulting, visit their website at royalcreekconsulting.com. Our feature event is the 26th Annual Texas Wildcatters Open, put on by the Independent Petroleum Association of America, happening March 26th at the Black Horse Golf Club in Cyprus, Texas. If you have an event you would like featured, email jason at thecrudelife.com. The greatest environmentalist on earth, Johnny Green, the Earth's champion and his eco-watch, has warned us that Minnesota Utilities say that big investments are needed in the region's electricity grid and no idea how much it's going to cost, but past ones have cost billions of dollars. That link is available also at our Crude Life show page. The music you're hearing is Blind Joe with our Crude Life crossover. If you have a musician you'd like featured on the Crude Life podcast, email jason at thecrudelife.com. Thank you to Hatch Coaching for being our studio sponsor and the Bakken Barbecue for sponsoring our phone line where we're going to have an interview with William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, in just a minute with our daily update. Okay, that's going to do it, folks, for me. We got tomorrow Senator Kramer and Lauren Scott, I know for sure, and John Clark coming up this week with our weekly OG brief. And what else do we got? Josh Swanson coming up later this week. We got a busy, busy week, folks. All that plus much more here on the Crude Life Podcast. From the staff here at the Crude Life Podcast, my name is Jason Spies. 
asking you to always remember energy is more than an industry. It's a way of life. The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group. In just a minute, part of our exclusive interview with William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, right here on the Crude Life Daily Update. Davis Refinery up in Belfield, we're sort of tying up loose ends uh, as they get started on the project financing raise. It's going to be a, a $1.1 billion financing for Davis, and we're just kind of getting started on that, trying to get it closed and done before uh, the beginning of summer so that we can get out in the field and get a lot done in the uh, in the project site. But, you know, most of the modules will not be arriving and, and foundations won't be completed till a year from this coming Sunday. So that's when most of the field activity will, will happen is after this next coming winter. On Walton Station down in the Permian, of doing uh, site surveys, soil and geology work, a lot of pre-permitting type design, collecting the uh, crude assays for the uh, for the local crude supplies that we're going to be uh, counting on for our, our crude oil. And then uh, go ahead and get the permitting started on that and try to have that plant in operation about a year after the Davis uh, facility gets started. So, uh, you know, looking at maybe early 2023 for Davis, uh, later that year for Walton Station. But, uh, you know, part of that is weather down in, uh, in Texas might cooperate with us a little bit better and uh, we'll be able to hold to a tighter schedule down there. You know, I, I mentioned we're, we're just kind of getting started on the, the real hard work of the Davis project financing. And as, as we get uh, further into it, it's, it's clear that all the stuff that we've done, you know, the substance of how we approach this business. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, we've been talking about it for five years or so. But over the last five years, there's been an entirely new, let's just say, lexicon of, of buzzwords and other ways of thinking about and talking about environmental and social concerns and risk management. And it became clear to us that, uh, you know, as as pure as our heart is with regard to these things and always has been, uh, we need to be able to uh, uh, put this in within a structure and, and apply the kind of verbiage and documentation that allows everybody else to instantly recognize what we've been doing and why. To listen to the full-length interview with William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, or to listen to other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, reminding you that it's more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Hamburger steaks. Holiday inns. That's the kind of world that I live in. I play a different town most every night. Love on my woman, write a new song, that's my life. 
Well, that's my life. Yes, y'all, and I love it. Well, that's my life. There ain't nothing else in the world above it. And I see people all along picking their guitars, playing their songs, and I tell them, forget it. You can't fake it, you're gonna make it, you gotta live it. I got a big bus with a TV and a bar and a little room in the back for me and my old guitar. I gotta stop and fuel up every 500 miles. Give a picture to the waitress, eat a late breakfast, country style. Cause that's my life, yes, y'all, and I love it. That's my life, there ain't nothing else in the world above it. And I see people all alone picking their guitars, playing their songs. And I tell them, forget it. Cause you can't fake it, if you're gonna make it, you gotta live it. We get home from Nashville on a Monday night. Record songs on Tuesday and on Wednesday we take out the wife. But then on Thursday night, it's back on the road. I don't care if it's North Dakota or Southern Minnesota, just as long as I grow. Cause that's my life, yes, y'all, and I love it. That's my life, there ain't nothing else in the world above it. And I see people all alone Picking their guitars, playing their songs And I tell them, forget it Cause you can't fake it If you're gonna make it, you gotta live it Yeah, brother, you can't fake it If you're gonna make it, you gotta live it It seems everywhere I go these days, someone is telling me about the success of Hatch Coaching. Listen to what professional speaker Mark J. Lindquist has to say. To see Eric Hatch grow his business and then start to share it with other people, I think is one of those great steps in life. You know, what do you do in society? You succeed at a thing and then you teach other people how you did it. And now to see Eric duplicating his genius across the country, I'm telling you. There's a world changer down the street, and his name is Eric Hatch. For more information, call 701-212-1572 or visit coachingwithhatch.com. That's coachingwithhatch.com. The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday.